0: asia tech podcast with graham brown and michael wait hello and welcome to asia tech podcast my name is graham brown today we're talking about ai artificial intelligence and whatever happens in the next 45 minutes nobody knows or maybe somebody or something does know because we're going to talk about predicting the future. And to do that, I'm joined by Justin Wang, who's the CEO and co-founder of Scry, recently featured in Forbes as one of the four companies using AI to transform the world. That's a very large title to live up to. So mirror, mirror on the wall. How are you doing? Justin, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Justin, let's kick off. I want to throw out a definition of Scry. When I was doing the background research about you, I had to look up what the word scry actually meant and I know it actually I mean obviously what you do goes beyond the definition of the word but just to throw it out there so people understand it says in the dictionary scry means to foretell the future using a crystal ball or other reflective object or surface just curious were you conscious of that when you formed the company or was it just a word that you thought was cool that could get people's attention (laughs)
1: So, when we were, my um, co-founder and I were talking about um, setting up a company with this concept, we definitely wanted a name that had some relation with the future. Hmm. And, um, lots of stuff came out and him being a master's in marketing was always going to, um, veto any suggestions if it came up, um, to be too popular in a SEO. So we had to dig deep, I guess, to look for a word that uh, was related to what we did. And, um, Scry came up. Of course, there are other names that were shortlisted, but uh, they were way really too far out of um, the common, I guess, uh, list of words that people mm. knew to even consider.
0: <laughs> but you've, you've picked something which is, obviously in our consciousness as a culture haven't you i mean people understand the whole business of predicting the future you know it's been in stories it's something that people face on a daily basis you just watch the news and everybody's talking about predictions they're talking about experts so it's not something that you know i mean if you went to people and talked about you know machine learning most people don't really know what that is but the whole business of predicting the future we can all sort of see yeah i could use that skill. That could be useful in my life or my business. So it's something we're we're aware of. My question is, is what exactly does this do? So tell us a little bit about what kind of predictions you can make because when you think about predicting the future, foretelling the future, what what is that? Is it, you know, what's gonna happen in North Korea? What's the future Bitcoin prize? Who's gonna win the World Cup? You know, should I go to college or go travel the world for a year? What kind of predictions can you make, or are you attempting to make with Scry?
1: Right. Um, so I think you hit the nail again, hit the nail on the head, right there, with your background research. And people do make predictions on a daily basis, like even within between family and friends. You have probably when you gather around for Thanksgiving or where have you, and your father-in-law makes a prediction. So, oh, I think the world is going to shit. Wait, it's swearing mm. a lot this podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the world's going to shit in, uh, 2018 because North Korea. And people make, um, very casual predictions. Um, people make very professional predictions and they, they're very pervasive in all layers of our life. But the problem is that who actually keeps track, right? When you say that something's going to happen, um, mm. are you sure it's going to happen or are you just, um, mildly, Inclined to think so, and if you say if you want to rank it using words, for example, um, you say that I think it 's probable that um, Bitcoin is going to hit ten thousand um, next year, for example. Mm-hmm. What does probable mean? Does it mean there's eighty percent chance of it happening, and if I ask someone else, does he think probable means anywhere between fifty point zero one to sixty percent right and that sort of nuance gets lost um, in conversation and in uh, interactions with other people. And it doesn't just happen around the dinner table with family and friends, but it also happens, I think, at the very top levels of management around the world. And this is what I realized in um, when I was an information security consultant and then when we did risk management for lots of big corporates, and their systems were completely screwed because they did a um, very simple high-low-medium risk hmm. sort of matrix to map out their risk. And we came in with a very a much more quantifiable method that went down to percentages and fractions of percentages and saying that, oh, look, this system is more more uh, vulnerable than the other. And they couldn't wrap their heads around it. There's this, this sort of mental block that is going to be um, some level of, oh rather, not some level, a huge level of haziness mm. where they can wriggle around and play around. And I think people want to. People recognize that um predicting the future is really a crapshoot nowadays, right? Um, in the media, in in the sort of things that we read at day and day out, read and watch day and day out, we've been told. Um hey no worries, Trump is not gonna win the election. Hmm. Right? So don't worry, um UK is not gonna leave the EU. And <laughs> despite it being so well proliferated, we're yeah, now sitting here was the fourteenth of November twenty seventeen. Um the UK has signed Article fifty at the start of the year and Trump is uh, a bit under one year as in Well he's Trump's, done a year.
0: That's the point, yeah. isn't it? I mean nobody could have predicted that.
1: Yeah. And two years ago, you'd be like, well, Trump wouldn't even have gotten the um Republican nomination. Hmm. Right? Some GOP. So
0: But how um, can you how can you do that? How can you predict Better than the experts. So, when we talk about, let's talk about experts in a bit because we're going to come to that. It's a really fascinating yeah. subject entirely, isn't it? But how can you, using something like Scry, look at the all the series of events that ran into the American election, where up until a point it was a done deal that Hillary Clinton was going to win? How do you start with something like that? Because that's a massive task. I think there's so many different variables. There's so many different opinions flying around. Could Scry take that and crunch it down and say, "Okay, this is our output. Here's the percentage prediction on this." Is that how it works? Can you just sort of walk us through something like that? So
1: the, I guess the fun, the basis behind Scry came out from actually the US. So the US have had a ton of intelligence failures since um, time immemorial, right? And the most recent ones, um, the decision to go into Iraq because they supposedly had weapons of mass mm. destruction caused a lot of concern at the top levels of the intelligence community in the States. And this was back in the dawn of the 21st century, right? Um, they went into Iraq and they came out and they was like, hey, you didn't find anything. And Um, What they did was, or part of their soul-searching exercise that they did, was they set up a um, research project where they got people around the world, professors and all of them, to participate in geopolitical um, forecasting tournaments. And this guy, Philip Tetlock, he got, um, I think, 4,000 people to just answer questions around the world. And I'll cut a long story short, but the fascinating thing that he found out was that some people were actually significantly better than others mm. in predicting the future. And then so this is where the fun stuff starts, right? Um he did a bit more digging and I think Uni published his first paper on this um about four years ago or so. And so the, it's all quite new. And the the people that we see as experts, right, people who have who have thirty years or fifty years in economics, who have been um talking about the subject for forever um, hyper-specialized individuals are actually not that good. Um, the people that won out were actually the hyper-generalists rather than the hyper-specialized. People who are able to sort of go after a wide variety of um, viewpoints and sources of information and sort of aggregate them together. So when you talk about machine learning, whether Skry can spit out a percentage of whether um, Trump would triumph over Hillary if we were around uh, two years ago. Um, it's in a way almost beside the point because we you try and use Skry as a vehicle, sort of like a proof of you can learn to be something like this. The ML portion um, is really used to weigh and aggregate all the different viewpoints on the platform and try to find out who the best people are because you can learn how to be like these people. Um, one of the traits that they identified being um, of use to someone who is a good forecaster was having what is called um, high levels of actively open-mindedness. So it's like, what is it just now? Um, is the ability to sort of not be too uncomfortable when facing new sources of information or differing opinions from you. So like most of us, we live in an age where our... Every day, really, from Amazon to Facebook, powered by recommendation engines, right? If you write something in a certain way, if you post something in a certain way, or you look, you search for something in a certain way, um, you get more and more similar search results hmm. as time goes on. Just to um, so like... b-
0: back you up a little bit, you're going off base a little bit. I, I want to, you know, for the listeners, <laughs> it's fine. I know you're, you're deep into the subject. You know, <clears throat> I think what we want to understand is like. How can we actually use this? Give me an example of how we can use Scry, because I'm sure this is what your customers want to know. And then we should sort of go into the philosophy part. But I want to know, for example, give me a practical application of how I can use it. Who would use this? What situation would they use it in? And also, how would it work? I mean, the philosophy is fine, but you know, I want to know what's in it for me. So give us an example, if you can, sort of share with us how this would work.
1: So scribing a two-sided market, we have the uh, supply side of these people making the predictions. What you get out of it is you're building a platform where it is easier for you to um, acquire new views and, of mm. course, keep track of your own ability, um, competence as someone who makes predictions of the future. I mean, there's no point saying something over dinner one year ago and coming back cherry picking and say, hey, you know, I made that prediction I I said Last year, this time, that Bitcoin thing, yeah. Um, So on the supply side, it's really calibrating your own abilities, and then getting that datum and going up from there. Um, But for the demand side, this is where we have lots of issues with um, investors, which is they they don't really believe that. Predicting the future is something that is well, well, wow, because it's been a crapshoot for so long. I mean, experts mm. around the world, um, historical accuracy is no 50 percent. And so what if you can predict if um, Catalonia is going to succeed from the Kingdom of Spain? Mm. All right, this is something I get. And between the two of us and to your listeners, why wouldn't you be interested? If you are a business owner, small or large, why wouldn't you be interested? in whether Catalonia, the most um prosperous region of Spain, is gonna leave Spain. If you're a, a small or medium sized um I don't know, importer or exporter, or even a furniture or a furniture company or a pork importer, you would know you want to know a year in advance or two years in advance that this is not going to be a, Spain is not going to be a nice place to do business if it actually happens.
0: Right. So let, let's walk um, through this because yeah. I, I, I'm trying to get down to the concrete aspects of what this does. Okay. So let's say I'm, a, like you say, a furniture import exporter in Catalonia, in Spain. I'm interested to know whether or not Spain is going to become independent or not. I mean, sorry, whether Catalonia is going to become an, independent yeah. from Spain or not. It hasn't happened. It could happen. A lot of experts are out there talking about it. I go into Scry. I use this service. This could be something that has an impact on my business to the effect of millions. I go into the service. In this platform, you have a two-sided model where you have effectively the buyers of opinion who would be a, a company like myself. And then you would have the sellers of opinion effectively on the other side who would be the experts, not sorry, not the experts, but people with opinions and predictions, right? So yep. this guy says yes. This guy says maybe if these factors happen and so on. So you're bringing together people who want to know the future and people who think they can predict it on a platform, correct? Or is that sort of a crude way of us, of sort of picturing it for you?
1: Um, yeah. And in the center sits the ML. So the ML is a bit that, um, machine learning, right? Yeah, the machine learning bit is the bit that aggregates and weighs people's opinions and scores on the platform. So there's no use just getting a very broad brush with some of the crowds approach um, and just pull 100, 150 people whether something's going to happen or not. Because clearly some people are better than that than others. Hmm. Um, so on the bias side of things, um, I mean let's use go back to the example of furniture or the manufacturing as a as a example. You have lots of things which in a manufacturing company which are rather long lead times, right? Um if you want to move your production base away from Um Catalonia, for example, or Spain, for example, it's not something that you can do on the spot. Um it's not something that <clears throat> Like a trader, you can just think, "Oh, I think my position in Spain is too risky. I'll just liquidate and move my money somewhere else mm. you have um, you probably have to look for a new place somewhere else, um, move your equipment over, or even think of maybe oh I think this might be a good time to downsize and uh, relocate my manufacturing base somewhere else or even transfer your whole manufacturing base somewhere else and the, one of the things that, um, this is, this is still a guess for us, right? Um, whether big events like this would have, um, a market for, right? We are still building the, the seller side of things. Um, we have been approached by some companies and say, Hey, I'm really interested in what you're doing. And, um, well, we we're trying to hit a benchmark that we got when you did our homework earlier on this year which was um, when we did a survey of the market in the u s and UK um, the benchmark is about eighty percent accuracy That's what half of managers and what do you mean, what do you
0: mean by that you have to back up you 're talking about stuff which the listeners won 't understand what do you, what do you mean a oh, benchmark of what give us give us, any, give uh, us concrete so, examples of what you 're talking about rather than philosophy. What do you mean? You, yeah. you talked to managers in the States about what and what did they come back
1: so, and say? So we did a survey um, yeah. of 615 managers and SMB owners in the States hmm. um, back when we were still setting up Scry in the very early stages to see whether the, the business sounds know, even feasible or not. And you asked them questions like, um, have you been... Oh, sorry, has your business strategy been affected by unforeseen events around the world cool. and things like that? And not surprisingly, um, given it was in the shadow of the US election, um, over 90% of them said yes mm. to some degree, right? N- next to no one said never or no. Um, and I think over 70% of them scored three or both and a five-point score. And of course, we went down the list of questions, and one of them was, uh, a couple of them was, would you pay for a service that did X, Y, And it seems like the break point was if you did 100 strategic events a year at about a 80% accuracy. So if you picked one question out a lot, um, you would have a 4 in 5, square would have a 4 in 5 chance of getting it right.
0: Mm. Okay, so, so just back up a little yeah. bit. Again, you're talking numbers. What does that mean? So to a business owner, you're saying, okay, you're, you went out and surveyed business owners. You found that almost all of them were impacted to some degree by unforeseen events. You said, okay, fine. Would you be interested in paying for a service that helps people foresee those events, correct? And yep. they came back and said, if you had this kind of level of accuracy, we would be interested. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: So with this level of accuracy, um, I think it was half of them would subscribe to a service like that, and right. um, 10% would pay quite a bit for it, actually. Right. So going back to the demand side of things, um, clearly the US and the UK together, they have about... 400 million people residing within them and we take a very broad rush estimate of um, the workforce labour participation rate of 60-ish percent and 1 in 10 being managers, meaning it's man of control. We are still looking at a market that's in the millions of people. Um, millions of people um, have felt betrayed by their sources of information, not giving them enough to tell them what the future holds. And um, this is where we want to sort of provide that sort of service to hmm. anybody The self serve. You click on um, an event around the world and you get to see the probability of it happening rather than um, Googling the subject matter on, the, on and looking up an article on the BBC or CNN and seeing, well, probably, maybe, certainly, not certainly.
0: Right. So we're getting to it's the essence to of what Scry is. Yeah you have identified that there's a problem that people have and there's a pain that people have and they could be business owners but it's a real pain and it's a source of confusion or maybe anxiety that they they don't understand these things that are happening or whether these things will happen and you're also saying that okay there's information out there but we've touched upon it with into a bit deeper in a minute about experts and obviously Google's a source of information, which is, you know, a rabbit hole, isn't it, of opinions and so on. <laughs> but, you know, and that's yeah. the problem, isn't it? I mean, if you want to, you know, if you go into Google and say, well, I've got a, a sore throat, you end up finding out you've got terminal cancer, right? I mean, if you read all the opinions about that kind of stuff, right? And that, That's the problem, isn't it? Because that just applies to all kinds of things. Everybody has an opinion. You don't know if that person's opinions are valid or not. You look at the TV, you've got some expert, as you say, with 20 or 30 years history. We tend to believe these people, but here comes Scry. Your goal, and this is, you know, early, early days in what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're just out of the accelerator program. Your goal is to create a platform where you can bring together the people who have a need with people who have an ability to predict the future, not necessarily based on the fact that they've done 20 or 30 years on TV as the expert, but they're just good at it for a number of different reasons. And you're bringing these people together and connecting them with a bit of, you know, clever algorithm matching. And that's kind yeah. of what you're doing here. Am, am I sort of getting to the essence of what it is? Um, yes. Good. So
1: excellent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is great. I mean, this is fascinating because, you know, here's the challenge, Justin, is that you're dealing with something which is fundamental to daily life in human beings, whether it's business or, you know, do I do this in my life? Do I do these kind of things? You're talking to, you, obviously you're starting with events because they're easier to, you know, everybody, they're easier to get people involved in rather than, you know, should I marry, you know, yeah. Justin or should I marry John? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of, That's, you know, not everybody has an opinion on it, but you're getting people together about events. So can we kind of bring that back to something that everybody can relate to, like an election result, like Trump versus Clinton? How would Scry go about, you know, if you had that again now, how would Scry go about making it easier for people to predict that result than just sort of going to Google or the television? All
1: right. um, I think a big part of it is keeping track. Right? If you don't know where you're starting from, hmm. um, you never know whether you're improving or whether you're good or bad at what you're doing. And this, I think, is a huge problem in making predictions. Right? Um, as I said earlier, people make predictions or... Oh, all the time in their daily lives, in a casual setting, in a professional setting. And once you start keeping track, you can start to calibrate. Have I been overconfident? Have I been underconfident when um, I made the prediction? And in the case of Hillary versus Trump, it's actually a very interesting um, case study because the the prediction markers out there, which are doing something similar, I guess, Outmoded example, Mm -hmm. but they've been doing it for about 20 years. The prediction markets out there got it wrong, and in a way, it's uh, quite surprising because most prediction markets have a accuracy of, I think, over 90% when it came down to um, the resolution. Mm -hmm. Um, we're We're not talking about time yet, so. They are about 80% accurate-ish, out to about 20-plus days. And at the time of resolution, they're usually on the right side of yes or no, um, over 90% of the time. And yet, in the Hillary versus Trump election, when they closed their markets, um, they were fantastically wrong. And you don't get a post-mortem from this, because people in prediction markets don't go in there to discuss and debate and sort of aggregate opinions. And uh conflate ideas. Um, they go in there to make money. They they think that um um Hillary's gonna win, so they put more money in Hillary. It's essentially highbrow um betting. So instead mm. of going versus um uh probably Leicester versus Manchester city or something, you bet on election results or movements in the Fed rate. Um But like I said, there's no audit history for yourself in a way and you can't see how other people why they made the decisions and this is where scry is different right Um, we allow you to get a insights get some insight as to what you're doing wrong um and why someone got it right better than you Hmm. so on our platform we make it very easy we incentivize making opinions making comments and Aggregating opinions and comments and weighing them to sort of lay out your thought process for um, other people, and not just for other people, and not for yourself, because if you made this prediction um, six months beforehand. You want—I don't, I don't think—I think most people would have forgotten why they made a certain prediction when uh, you're down the road, and if you're able to go back and revisit it and see that, hey, um, I thought very strongly that. Uh, maybe Trump could be sunk by allegations of sexual sexual assault. And it turns out that those allegations were false or unfounded or otherwise not taken into account by the public. Um, you have a data point in which you can go back and see, oh, I put too much emphasis on this right. point and no one else did. Or the that doesn't matter, right, that, yeah.
0: Yeah. So is it for so, the predictors yeah. to be able to go back and audit their own, you know, their yeah, own so reasons why it, um, they made predictions?
1: Yeah. So that is really the, the forecast side of things, hmm. the supply side of things. You're trying to get people to sort get of look better. back at the yeah. mistake to improve. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I wonder. I mean, I'm not in the business of being a, a professional predictor. I I don't know if that sort of thing exists I know you talked about the prediction markets there must be people who do this as a job and you know I think I'll give you an example I'm trying to throw it out here so I can you know you talked about generalists and I think I'm trying to give a general example that steps outside of prediction and for example you know I do triathlon which is you know swim bike and run and Man training, all those kind of things. And one thing I do do is I document every single training exercise I've ever done because it's my sort yep. of obsessive compulsive behavior. But anybody who's <laughs> good at this does that. And what they find, what they say is that, you know, you make a lot of emotional decisions about what you think is good for you. So, you know, you remember that week when you cut down on carbohydrates and ate a lot more fat? Oh, well, you know, that didn't work out. But if you go around telling people it kind of works out, you don't have any proof of it. But if you were to go back and look at your numbers, like I would do it and said, oh, look, you know, look at my training record. This week I was really good on the bike. What was I doing during that week that made me good on the bike? I can actually tell you objectively what the answer was, right? And I wonder if it's similar to predictions as well. If you just say, okay, I made these predictions. In hindsight, I've kind of made it. I've tried to justify it a little bit. But if I was to go back and look at my data, it takes the bullshit, if you like, out of the process and tells you, look, (laughs) these patterns of behavior, these things that you did, resulted in these outputs. Therefore, rather than get too deep into the the rationale for it, just do more of that if you want to get better outputs. Is is that kind of how it works with prediction too?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy, actually. But... The thing with society and the whole media sphere and the whole news sphere is that it doesn't work that way. It works in a way that you just described. Um, the flawed example where, oh, I cut out fat this week and suddenly my time dropped by um, 20 seconds or something. Yeah. And you go, wow, I must tell all my friends about it. And this is the next big thing. Maybe I should write a book about it. But that's <laughs>
0: exactly. how
1: the world works right now. All right, You have, um, I don't want any names, but you have some people who have made fortunes on saying that I predicted the great financial crisis. Mm. Uh-huh. But it's just a long-tail distribution. It's just a fluke of numbers, right? Um, if you had gathered 500,000 people and asked them um, whether the economy is going to crash next year or not, a handful of them would definitely say yes, and right, you can right. just tell these people as some sort of um, prescient um, farseers. But um, People who are actually good at forecasting. Aren't going to regress the mean, so to speak, right? When they did the research project, that's what they thought. And then the first year, oh yeah, some people got lucky. But in the second, third, and fourth years, they actually widened their advantage <laughs> over the rest of the cohort. So that's a very interesting.
0: But so, are these people oh. good at forecasting? Is that is that such yeah. is that a thing? Can somebody? Is it specific to a domain? Like, okay, I'm good at forecasting Forex trends because I understand the patterns or are there people who are just good at forecasting?
1: They're just people that are good at forecasting. Of course, really? like I said, the research is still pretty new. Right, right. Um, if you want to learn more, you can look up Philip Tetlock on mm. Google. <laughs> and uh,
0: the problem but, with what Tetlock is doing is that he's looking at the top end of the market. Really. Well, that's what I mean. What I mean. Can yeah. I just sort of back out? I'm really fascinated yeah. by this. Just these people who are good at forecasting, those are the kind of people you want to get on your platform, right?
1: Um and to train more people, right?
0: Gotcha. To be like them, yeah. What What are they because like? the traits that yeah, that, um, tell us about their traits.
1: They they came from all walks of life, really. Mm. Um, so most of them had a bachelor's degree. I think a third of them also had a postgraduate degree, and none of them were really, as far as publicly available to me. Um, really experts in the traditional sense. What they were were journalists um, more than anything, and they came from all walks of life. Some of them were like part-time geologists, for example. Mm. I think uh, another one of them were like uh, was a retired nurse or a nurse or something. So it's not as if that you had to have um, many years in a, in a subject to opine and to be good at forecasting. Um, maybe there's a super, super forecaster out there, super duper predictor out there that's um, open-minded and in his field, so he has that weight of experience concatenated with a broad range of um, ideologies that can give you even better prediction. But um, we're just speculating now. But uh, to give a... How would I put it? To give a sort of mm, ray of light for everyone who wants to be a, who wants to predict the future. You don't have to have in-depth knowledge of um, what's going to happen. In fact, all you need is for internet connection and an open mind. And of course, the ability to keep track of what you have made or the predictions you have made. And the, Efficacy of someone like that. Um, in the competition, right, the in the geopolitical forecasting tournament, they actually beat out these um, these super forecasters. They actually beat out the intelligence analysts themselves, people who had access to like classified information, by a margin of thirty percent. Because these people, or rather, most experts, are stuck in their modes of thought, right, in the ideal or uh, ideologies and if you ask economists are you Keynesian or are you mm. like you have some you have aligned your way of living and thinking to a particular um narrow corridor so to speak right and well, there's a vested interest you, in as well yeah.
0: isn't there that if i'm an expert i probably have vested interests from years and years of being in the industry <laughs> right, I don't want yeah, so to predict something again. I've been
1: wrong, and so exactly. it's going to be the end of the career. Well, I don't
0: <laughs> want to put, you know, I don't want to put Justin out of a job because you know we're good buddies, and if I predict this, then well, you know all hell gets let loose. So there's all that going on as well, isn't there? But you're you're saying effectively that people who aren't experts but have this kind of quality can predict yep. experts in more cases than not. If you give these people a platform and you enable these people to go back and audit their own predictions, they can get better at it. And you can also create this market of buyers who can work out, okay, that guy is really good at prediction. So, you know, he's got a really good track record predicting the World Cup, you know, so I'm going to go back to him. Because he's better than this guy who's the expert who's you know done thirty years as a professional manager, you know he doesn't know shit basically, <laughs> even though the t v yeah. goes to him every time is that kind of the kind of sort of scenario that you see in the future
1: um yeah, so this is actually what we are trying to aim towards, so we're trying to proliferate really the yeah. i guess I'm going sliding back into philosophy right now, no let's do it, but really this is interesting um proliferate this. So the, the traits that we see associated with being a good predictor of the future, um, especially open minded thinking, actively open minded thinking, we think is extremely useful for um societies and individuals as part of societies. And the first phase that we're trying the first thing that we're trying to do is try is to sort of penetrate the penetrate the public consciousness in that some people um other people can get better at predicting the future, right? Mm-hmm. And we can give Inscribe a platform where you can see, hey, um, we're predicting these events a lot more accurately than um your CNNs and BBCs and what have you. Um and then obviously the internet platform will not be able to answer every single question, every single burning question in the world um for every single organization or individual. But if you want to know if I, if maybe I should cut um, this or X, uh, maybe I should cut supply A out in favor of supply B because I think supply B would have uh, um, <clears throat> a better output or better deal three years down the line, hmm. it's a very specific question that you need someone with that sort of acumen to see into the future and predict. So you can do one of two things. One is you go through our platform and find who is a good predictor or you train yourself on our platform. Mm. Right? Um, train yourself to be more open-minded, keep track, um, see where it's gone wrong and sort of get become more open-minded. Sort of, sort of um, find more disparate in, uh, information sources that make you uncomfortable and be less uncomfortable when someone tells you that I don't think it's going to happen. Mm.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? That you're talking about the uncomfortable thing is that I, I think you're, you're talking about, I think people could naturally be good at prediction if they were more open minded, but being open minded is, is a challenge, isn't it? Because we have experience, we have invested interest and it seems that, you know, people are, are more likely to choose a source of prediction let's say with the election or even at sport for example based on the fact that that person is seen as an expert rather than the fact that they're any good because if somebody says that person's an expert it takes the decision out of the process for you It's kind of de-risks it for you. Yeah, well, you know, Justin said that and he's the expert on, you know, baseball results for the last 20 years. And, you know, well, I'd never get that wrong if I just choose Justin. So there's a lot of that going on. I want to just throw something random out there because I want to get your opinion on this because this is kind of like taking it to the extreme now is that when you talk about prediction, we have these established experts and you have the prediction markets and you have people making a lot of money out of this. And then, you know, when people talk about the alternative, the media throws out examples like, and I'm going to use this, and I'm sure you've come across this, but I'm not using this to trivialize what you're doing, but just to show how the media deals with this. Like Paul the Octopus. <laughs> now, and the reason I'm, and This is funny, but I think there's a serious message in this because it shows how people try and get the head round the whole prediction thing and okay so let me just explain paul the octopus was this octopus that predicted quote unquote world cup results in 2010 and i think he's you know he did it i can't remember exactly but he he would go into this tank and it would be filmed live on tv and he'd predict you know he would like grasp onto you know the, the ball that had germany's name on it, or it would be an ab type thing and he successfully predicted the winners of each of the seven World Cup matches that Germany played as you know, a whole list. He successfully predicted them. And everyone who thought, well, this is, you know, people's reactions were either, you know, this is a bloody miracle that this octopus is out predicting experts. Or, you know, this is a bit of fun. Or, you know, some people generally thought that the octopus had predicted powers, right? When you see something like that, How do you feel? I mean, it's a bit of a circus, isn't it? How do you feel about something like that? Do you think there's a? Do you think that sort of undermines what you do? Are you not bothered by it? Do you think it's a bit funny, or do you think that's a real sort of message about expertise out there? It's just so much randomness that you know an octopus could probably do better than somebody with 20 years of experience. What are your thoughts on that, Justin? You're on the spot. I actually use Paul the octopus as a
1: example. To hold up, I held it up as an example to say that, well, on some level at least, um, most of us acknowledge that predicting the future is very, very unreliable today. And this day and age, where right? we can get um, Wikipedia on our phones and access to more information and, and than at any time previous in the entire history of the human race. We still rely on things like Paul the Octopus. we still rely on things like astrology and pound reading and we still worship experts. Hmm. So there's a sort of dissonance going on there. Um, On one hand, we want experts to tell us how to live our lives. Should we cut out fat? Should we bet on the um, Dow Jones this year? Um, And on the other hand, we have (laughs) some level of recognition that even seemingly random events, um, even seemingly random actors like um, psychic animals, seemingly psychic animals, can at times outpredict them, and they earn huge followings on Twitter—tens and thousands, hundreds and thousands of people on Twitter. Why? Because people now, um, with this whole buffet of information and recommendations, recommendation engines um, powering these um, um, predictions to people, they they seek sort of a comfort zone online or in the information sources, if they want, if they think that, um, I don't know, maybe the EU is going to disappear in the next 10 years, they, they find sources of information that support their point of view. Not necessarily factually correct or accurate in any way, shape or form, but it's a buffet. You can find whatever you like on Google. And if you were to look it up uh, next time around, when you open news.google.com, you see more articles about how the EU, EU is going to fracture in 10 years. Or, um, if you hate Trump, for example, I mean, the whole media sphere is available for your picking. Hmm. And uh, it does not do very much good to, I guess, the average of um, human cognition. And I think it's pulling the average down a bit, at least. And Society, I think, is getting a bit more fractured, quite a bit more fractured because of that. Um, For the first time in many years, you see open violence between the left and the right in the US. And, of course, the conflict, um, riots and attacks going on in the EU, for example. Because both sides have been trained to listen to their leaders rather than to think for themselves and find what people on both sides of the fence are. Um, on the other side of the wall I think
0: that's a very valid point isn't it you're, I mean what you're talking about is the internet is very much giving people an echo chamber isn't it I mean yep. If if I wanted to go out and understand the world through the lens of you know what they would call right wing in the US it's all there for me and every single viewpoint is there for me which gives me reasons why this is the case and so on and if i was on the left i could get the same and i would never have to go into that yeah. other territory where i get these uncomfortable opinions yeah and the worst
1: part is the backfire effect which if you were to give someone who has a opinion on something evidence the contrary what he does is retreat further into his right. opinion so the common example is uh, if you were to talk to a, speak to a creationist someone who thinks the world was created 12,000 years prior and show him facts about uh, carbon dating or radiometric dating and the universe is, or the, or the planet is um, four and a billion years old, he doesn't move closer to the center. Like most people don't move closer to the center. What they do is they move right. further into yeah. their view that the world is only 12,000 years old. I mean, no offense to any of your uh, listeners who are... I don't think they've be listening to an
0: AI podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, I think it's a valid point, isn't its Is that I mean, years ago if you put those two people together, they could have had a debate, there could have been some kind of movement towards the centre, because, oh yeah, actually it's the first time I've heard what you've got to say, and it, it, I, I can kind of take some of that in. But now, on the internet, there's lots and lots of examples of how to react to this viewpoint. So if somebody tells you well, look, you know, there's no way that this could be ten thousand years old. This fossil. There's already a list, uh, you know, of answers that you can give to that person because people have gone out there and done that already, right? Okay, that's fine. Let's put that aside. There's this is sort of tribalization of the world going on thanks to the internet. The problem with that for business, and for all the the whole connection side of things, is that that mindset and you've mentioned it at the top of the show about the whole idea of getting uncomfortable viewpoints, is bad for prediction. And I go back to I think it was James Surowiecki who wrote Wisdom of the Crowds and one of the things he wrote there's a test where they put jelly beans in a jar. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they asked people, you know, because in, in a jar how many jelly beans? It could be a thousand it could be a hundred, no clue. And they asked lots and lots of people to effectively predict how many jelly beans were in the jar so you're basing their decision to look at that based on their understanding of similar patterns in their past right and what was really interesting is what he concluded was that the people who you know they asked groups that the people who were the best at predicting were the most diverse groups so, you know, you had a group with different opinions, a group with different backgrounds, mm-hmm. economically, socially, politically, religiously, and so on. They made the best predictions. Whereas the ones that made the worst predictions were the groups that were all guys or all Chinese or all left wing. <laughs> they, they were the absolute worst on the scale. And you can see now how that's coming into the point that you make about putting different opinions in the mix. That makes better predictions. So I guess predictions. that's
1: how uh, democracy works, right? <laughs> in theory. Everyone who has a stake in this question to vote on it. But um, going back to and crowds, it is fascinating that they found this out over 100 years ago. And um, no one has really taken... used this ability, used this power to so, improve decision-making organizations on a large scale. So actually... Late last week, we had a call with. Um, I spoke to Robin Hanson, um, one of the one of the guys who has been working on, on prediction markets and trying to proliferate prediction prediction markets to um, all around the world in many organizations for I think about thirty years now. And one thing I pointed out was that prediction markets sort of devolve an individual to a to a cog in a, in a vast machine. I mean, um, it doesn't matter if... So in prediction... sorry, it's not predict, uh, yeah, in prediction. Yeah, wisdom and crowds on prediction markets, so I need to preface that. And um, the wisdom and crowds mechanic usually tapers off in terms of accuracy once you get past about 100 to 150 people. Of course, a sufficiently diverse range of 100 to 150 people. Hmm. Past that point... Um, the accuracy plateaus, and you don't get any very much added benefit by throwing another you know, thousand or five thousand people to answer the same question. And the funny thing is that when you get these people, or at least when the study was done a few you know, like last, last decade or something yeah. like that. Um, what happens in today's context when you get these hundred, hundred fifty people to talk is that accuracy go, accuracy goes down, hmm. right? Um, because then again, the backfire effect and all the other, um, nasty human cognitive effects come into play and people get more entrenched or get more polarized. And so the sort of global average that aligns to reality goes away. And that's why I see the problem is with prediction markets that first of all, you're not going to have network effects because you can't get people to talk. There's no socialization aspect in the platform. It's not. Yeah, your accuracy go down. And secondly, if you tick all the boxes, get all of your um, representative groups of stakeholders into opine on the question, it doesn't matter who they are. It just matters that they are of a certain um, demographic or some sort of characteristic. So there's no way of attaching yourself, so, sort of like um, um, improving your ability within the system of, disposable parts you see
0: hmm. yeah justin I, I what i want to do is this i want to get you back on the show in the coming episodes because you know you, you're at a very early stage with your business and it's a very exciting area that you're in you know you're really you know you're just out of the accelerator program you're building your business getting on board early clients getting on board your early case studies i think you know what is going to be really fascinating is when you get that breakthrough is that where you can say look you know we did this and this happened right and that's what i think the market is waiting for is because you know right now we're still in the realm of of what your hypothesis is and what the philosophy is right we need to get what you're doing and so okay look It's like, you know, the day that they show that IBM Deep Blue beat the world chess champion, right? You know, it's kind of like, okay, right, now machines are really good at this stuff, right? But we need to kind of do that in your context and say, you know, okay, well, we did this. We ran the predictions on, you know, uh, whatever it is, the 2020 World Cup. Or we did it on the outcomes of this election or the outcomes of this event and you know we beat paul the octopus and we beat paul the expert on tv that kind of thing that's where we need to get it because at that point people are going to start listening and then they're going to ask okay how did you do this and then they're going to think wow this is better more effective than this is coming to the philosophy the traditional way of doing things which is to put these experts on a pedestal and just accept everything that they give us right So I think we've got to get it there. That's the next exciting step. (laughs) I think it's early days. And we we could go on. We could do another hour on this easy. But, you know, I'm conscious of the time. So can you do that? Can you come back on the future on the show? Promise me you'll come back on the AI show and share with us your updates, your research, your findings. Because I think once you get that little bit of traction, there's that confidence in that people are just going to start. You know, you're, you're in a very, very interesting place, which, you know, All you have to do is plant a flag and say, hey, look, we've done something, and wow, you know, the interest is going to follow you around.
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. We can definitely come on again. Um, But like you referenced, it might be a while. (laughs) If you're talking about election in 2020, it's uh, two and a bit years from now, so...
0: It's a journey. Yeah, sometime time to
1: come in. Yeah. yeah, it's a journey. No,
0: we want to be, I want to be on that journey with you, Justin, because I'm really excited by what you're doing and I can see because it's at such an early stage, we're still in the, you know, the intellectual stage of things and to build out something like this is tough, especially as it's a double-sided market. We haven't even gone to, you know, talked about your your sort of the background of the business because we've gone so deep into... you know, the philosophy side of things. But I think it's fascinating. People in, in in, what I want to do with your stories, get it out there. And I think either people are not going to understand it because it's too early, which is fine. Or people are going to get it. That light bulb's going to go and say, hey, look, I'm in the AI space. I'm doing this. You guys are doing something really, really interesting. I'm trying to do it from this angle. You're doing it from this angle. I want to find out more about you. And I think that's kind of the people that we're, broadcasting this episode for so justin i would really like to thank you for coming on the show and sharing this early insight into your journey with us um you know before you go just share with us a link that people can find out more about you because i think it would be good for them to go and just get a bit more background about the kind of things we talked about in your research and so on yep
1: so um thanks for having me on i hope i'm not too i was not too rambly or I hope I didn't talk myself into a circle. But um, you can find us at www.scry.cloud c l o u d.
0: Justin, thank you so much. That's Justin Wang, who's the CEO and co-founder of Scry. Go and check him out at the link that we provided. We're going to get Justin back on this show and talk about the journey. It could be a long journey. It could be... Yes, hopefully it is a long and fruitful journey over the next couple of years. and You will come and share that journey and updates with us as you grow and as you progress and as you find out more things. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: All right, thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.